Hello everybody and you are listening to Aussie Politics with Alex and today I have a huge podcast planned because we've had a crazy week that even warranted me doing a bonus episode. So I'm not going to focus on that too much but I'm going to focus on the results of the elections that happened this week and the ever-approaching US election. But first we will touch on what happened with Gladys Berejiklian. Firstly, she survived both motions of no confidence in both houses of the New South Wales Parliament. The lower house, the Legislative Assembly, and the upper house, the Legislative Council. I'm not sure if you were able to hear that. Uh, I just got a notification on my computer. But in the Legislative Council, the government does not have an outright majority, so so it relies on the crossbench for support, confidence, and, of course, in motions of no confidence. Um, Now, the, the motion in the upper house was defeated, 21 to 20, but interestingly, initially, the vote was actually tied with 20 to 20. But in the upper house, the president of the Legislative Council breaks the tie. And the president, being a liberal, of course, voted to, I mean, uh, to strike down the motion of no confidence, which was the end of that. So it remains to be seen whether or not Gladys Berejiklian will remain the Premier for much longer. But we history will look back on this moment, interestingly, to say the least. Before we move on to the main topic of today's podcast, I thought I would quickly mention what happened in the U.S. election campaign. Now, considering that the second debate was cancelled, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump held simultaneous uh, town halls, that is, that they were asked questions by voters. Um, uh, I believe more people tuned into Joe Biden's debate, but not by much. I mean, not debate, sorry, town hall, which was interestingly, because a lot of Democrats were worried that... Uh, um, that a lot of Democrats were worried that uh, Joe Biden would get swamped out in ratings because he people thought he was boring, uh, interestingly. And now to arguably the biggest story of the political week in Australia. So I'm actually going to talk about the New Zealand election first. So this is really interesting. So in New Zealand, they don't use a... Um, it's a unicameral parliament. That is to say that there is only one house and they are the supreme legislative-making body in New Zealand, right? So, if we look at the results of, I mean, for those of you who don't know, New Zealand had an election on uh, Friday in Australia, uh, Thursday, depending on what you're listening. I know some of my uh, US listeners uh, get confused whenever I mention dates. But, uh, so yes, in Friday in Australian time, uh, there was a New Zealand election, um, wherein the Labour Party, led by Jacinda Ardern, wildly popular premier, won the first outright majority in 50 years of New Zealand, since the 1970s, which is really interesting. She won 64 seats and just got under half of the vote, Um, just under half, so about 49%, we think. Um, The opposition, the National Party, the New Zealand National Party, got 35 seats, so almost half of what, I mean, so just over half of what Labour got. And then there are 21 crossbenchers, which will be... uh, uh, sorry, I'm not sure what this party is, but it's Act New Zealand. I'm not. It's a, apparently it's a liberal libertarian political party in New Zealand. Uh, there's ten seats to the Green Party, ten seats to Act New Zealand, and one seat to the Maori Party. 
which is really interesting. Now, also, since I mentioned that the, uh, since, you see, because in Australia we have, um, different electorates, which each elect one MP to send to the House of Representatives, and then we use something called mixed, um, MMP, mixed member proportional in the Senate, where each person needs to receive a quota to get elected. And if I'm, and that's how they elect, um, their members in the lower house, I mean, in, um, the House of New Zealand, right? So because of this, it has that's one that's the main reason why there haven't been many majorities. It still remains the exception. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. It's 71 MPs are di uh, elected directly in electorate seats, and the remainder are filled by list MPs, which are based on the party's share of the total party vote. Thank you, Wikipedia. But still, this presents this prevents most parties from achieving a majority. But since the Jacinda Ardern has been able to achieve a majority this time. Um, she'll be able to rule without a coalition partner. Um, she was previously in a coalition with a party, I think it was New Zealand First, that didn't receive any seats this election. And since there is no upper house, which the government hasn't been able to, which the government usually would not be able to achieve majority in, she is going to have a really easy time governing and be able to get many social reforms through fairly easily compared to Australian par uh, parliaments and the US with, this, with the obstructionist Senate. Um, of course, which is much more significant in the US. And now, if we move home to Australia, we have the ACT election. And the ACT election is what prompted me to wait as late as possible on Sundays to record today. So, I'm recording this at about uh, just before 8 o'clock. And as of this, um, according to ABC's ACT election 2020 results, great resource if you're ever out and you want to check the election results while maybe you're working or something, that's a great way to do it, especially if it's your relevant jurisdiction. So as of uh, 7.50 on the 18th of October, the ALP, the ALP, the Australian Labor Party of Canberra, is on 10 seats. Uh, the Canberra Liberals are on 8. And this is the really interesting thing. The Greens are now on 5 seats. So back when I was going to record the podcast this morning, I woke up and I checked the election coverage. And... Uh, it said that they won three seats, but it was a number of people said that that number could jump up if uh, they had a large share of the votes in some of the electorates in Canberra, and they did. Um, they jumped up to five seats, and they could very well win a sixth. So it's really interesting because in the electorate of Karajong, they use um, MMP like they do in the Senate, um, where they elect five MPs from each um, from each electorate. And they each, so the way it works is, in the ACT, there are five electorates. And in each of these, they elect five MPs, so that's 25 in total. And each of the, actually, they're not MPs, they're members of the Legislative Assembly, so they're MLAC, I mean, MLAs. But I'll just say MPs for simplicity. And so the way it works is that you have to receive a quota, that is to say enough votes to get elected. So with Labor receiving a number of quotas, so let's say they receive 2.5 quotas, right? The Liberals receive one quota, and the Greens receive 50% of a quota. Um, it's Depending on the way the preferences flow, the preferences can actually flow from Labor down to the Greens, since that they've exhausted the amount that they need to get elected, which means that the Greens would instead pick up a seat, let's say. And that's what happened. So in the electorate of Brindabella, that's the one in which the Greens have yet to receive a seat. I believe it's the most southernmost, the rural seat of Canberra, which is usually... Uh, usually the most conservative. In the electorate of Ginandera, there are two ALP seats and one Liberal MP so far. Um, and Joe Clay, the Greens um, candidate, has been elected. Um, I believe ousting the current MP, 
Gordon Ramsay, not the chef, not the celebrity chef. Um, but it's it's possible that he could still be elected. He's got more votes than the Liberal candidate, but it depends on the way the preferences flow. Now, if we move to the electorate of Karajong, this is the one that was the craziest for the Greens. So they actually managed to receive 1.42 quotas, and they managed to get two MPs into the Legislative Assembly. That is their leader, Shane Rattenbury, and uh, Rebecca Vazarotti. So it's looking like that in Karajong there will be two Labour MPs, um, that is the leader, uh, whose name is escaping me, Andrew Barr, that's right, and then one Liberal only, and then another Labour and two Greens. And then in the electorate of Murrumbidgee, named after the river, if we have a look at that, it's looking like there will be two Labour MPs and two Liberal MPs and one Green MP, um, with the remaining votes being wasted as there are no longer enough quotas to fill the seats. Since the, the, so the Greens, again, they haven't really managed to receive many quotas, but they've been very lucky for their preference votes. But it's a tremendous result to the Greens. I believe they had something like a 4% swing towards them. And in Yerebi, uh, they managed to receive one extra MP. So now, if we take a step back from the SET and look at the implications to a further federal Australian election, what is the impact of minor parties across Australia doing progressively better in these kinds of elections, especially in one where government approval ratings have soared because of the handling of the COVID outbreak? So... In the ACT, even after sky-high approval ratings for the Labor government, except on planning, which is a controversial issue in Canberra, um, they were still not able to receive a majority. They are currently on 10 seats with two seats in doubt. So if, so if the ACT predictions are right, they can no longer get a majority. The most they could get would be 12 and would require a Greens coalition partner. So this, of course, has dragged the ACT further to the left because they were already in a coalition government with the Greens, um, allowing them to make very progressive ideas such as legalising marijuana, I think, by the end of this year. Or maybe it was the start of this year. I could be wrong. But because of this, Canberra... Actually, not because of this. Facilitating this. This is because Canberra is one of the most progressive jurisdictions in Australia. They've always had fairly progressive governments, and Labor has been in government in Canberra for the past 21 years. And if you think that Labor, that um, Canberra hasn't had self-government for that long, that's a tremendous amount of time. And Alistair Coe, the leader of the Canberra Liberals, being more conservative, means that the Liberals would no longer need to, as he said in his concession speech, stay true to their traditional Liberal values. Perhaps they would need to move further to the left to compete with Labor. And uh, really resurgent Greens. Now, if we look further to the federal election, as I was saying before, what is the chance? What are the chances of the Greens receiving a sky-high vote? Now, if we look past to the last election, the Greens tr did not have a strong showing. They, I think, they kept their one seat in the House of Representatives, which was held by Adam Baird, who was the current leader, following the resignation of their former leader Richard Natale. And then, of course, they have their number of senators, but they're pretty much guaranteed to have senators because they're a minor party, and because of the way they elect um, senators there, the, the third minor party is pretty much guaranteed to have seats. And there always has been, since the Australian Democrats were replaced by the Greens, and so on and so forth. But the reason why I believe that the Greens did not do so well at the last federal election, even as climate change was such a prominent issue, is because Bill Shorten moved Labour further to the left. 
And when, it's, when Labor moves further to the left, it traditionally sucks away a lot of the inner-city voters that the Greens need to win House of Representatives and, and Senate seats, especially in Tasmania, which the Liberals managed to carry. Um, and with Bill Shorten being ousted as leader and ousting on the front bench as a um, minister, Anthony Albanese has moved the party further into more of a centre-left position than they had since the last election, which means that progressive voters who want meaningful action on climate change and perhaps other progressive social issues such as legalisation of marijuana and euthanasia would turn to the Greens. And if Labour remains having to walk this tight walk between evangelical um, rural voters and um, working class voters in the cities, and of course trying to remain progressive, they can't please all of these groups at once, which means that inevitably some of these votes will flow to the Greens. And that makes me think that I wonder if the way that Labour needs to win, and if the easiest way for Labour to win elections now would actually be to move into the centre-left and allow the Greens to take up, to fill up the vacuum that they've taken, and this would allow them to win to, to win some seats off the Liberals and easily allow the Greens to pick up to um, pick up inner-city electorates such as Grandler, which is Anthony Albanese's current seat, which has a strong Green vote, and other seats in Victoria. And I wonder if this is how Labour will manage to stay in government after such a long period of Liberal rule. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really enjoyed making this podcast. I've been looking forward to these elections for a while, so I could make a podcast on them. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the podcast. Make sure you um, follow my Instagram, because I always uh, let you know when a new podcast comes out, and sometimes I put up fun little challenges for the whole community to enjoy. And lastly, please do send in your voice messages. Um, I'd like to start a new segment called Question Time, and I've been really eager to answer all of your political and non-political questions about the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night.